0: here and uh, get to work at studying the gospel of Mark. Now um, some of you were with us last week and you uh, have memories. Hopefully you learned a few things last week about the gospel of Mark, but we've been digging into this gospel that was in many ways neglected for centuries by the church because everything in the gospel of Mark could be found in Matthew or Luke. So they said, you know, let's just study Matthew or Luke. We'll just leave Mark aside. And all of that changed when scholars were able to finally figure out that the gospel of Mark was what was written first. And so we've been working our way through, we're just starting our journey, working our way through the gospel of Mark. And what we've appreciated so far is that we understand the gospel of Mark is an historical narrative. What does that mean? right. Mark doesn't tell us everything about Jesus. He tells us the things about Jesus' life that make the points that he's trying to make to us. As God is leading him to sort through all the different things that happened in the life of Christ, he's pulling those things out that you and I need to know to be able to answer two questions that are just primary in Mark's heart. One is, What evidence is there that proves that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? So he's going to work through the life of Christ, showing the various things that happened, and say this is the evidence that stands based on its own merit that proves that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He starts his gospel out with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The other thing that he's going to filter through And this comes out of his experience, and as he's relaying the memories, the oral memories of Peter to us at God's leadership, he's sharing with us, what does it really take to be a follower of Christ? And part of what you and I need to appreciate as we go into this text today is that we know we can fall in love with our idea of Jesus, right? We can fall in love with our idea of Jesus. This is who Jesus is to me and that can make us feel good. When we think about Jesus as the comforter and he cares for us and he gives us assurance and he's our help in time of trouble and we 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 have this the shepherd that can, we have also and it can really make us feel good. But what you and I need to appreciate is that it's only when you and I fall in love with the real Jesus that the power of God is released in our lives. We can fall in love with our idea of Jesus, and it can make us feel good. Or you and I can fall in love with the real Jesus, which is why we're looking at the Gospel of Mark. We're looking for the real Jesus, and as you and I fall in love with the real Jesus, it is that love that can set the power of God free in our lives. So today we want to look at a pretty lengthy passage from Mark's Gospel, the first chapter. And I'm not going to go back and look at the stuff that we looked at last week. We, we know that, that you can do that online, and there's audios that you can get through our website and, and all those kinds of things. But, but Jesus has, has launched out here, and, and we want to pick up in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. And hopefully you have a Bible. Again, it's on page 805 if you're using one of the 845 if you're using one of the Bibles that's underneath your chair. If you're, if you're using your own, that's great. I, I think this is the kind of series that's really great to bring your own Bible. Because you can make notes, you can underline things, you can circle stuff, that kind of thing. And it can really be things that spur some, some uh, ongoing fruit for you as you continue to read through. And, and, and I want to look at this passage today, and then I wanted to go back and I want to look at the two questions that I'm challenging you to use as you process the Gospel of Mark in your own reading. Again, I've, I've challenged you to read through the Gospel of Mark once a month like a half a chapter a day right and just be reading through it we're going to be in the gospel of mark for four months so it gives us a chance just to read it and reread it read it once in the niv and then read it in the new american standard and then read it in a different translation reading the king james just reading different versions as you go along and but ask yourself the question what does this passage teach me about jesus and what does it reveal to me about what it takes to follow after christ and those are the things we're going to look at. So I'm going to read these 30 verses for us, beginning 31 verses beginning in, in Mark 1 with verse 14. I'm going to make some comments as we go, and then I'll come back and try to process some stuff for us so that God can speak to us and, and challenge us to take some next steps as we move forward. So Mark chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested, now this is a reference to John the Baptist, and we looked at him last week. But after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the good news of God. It's really interesting that when Jesus stepped out into public ministry for the very first time, he did so in Galilee. Now, it was his home area of the country, but it was also the darkest area in Israel. This is the area of of Israel that's up to the west of the Sea of Galilee towards towards the northern end. And so, Every international army that came marching through the region to conquer some new area came right through Galilee, and they got the stew beat out of them over and over and over again. Whether it was the Assyrians or others who were coming down out of Damascus, whether it was the Egyptians that were coming out, whether it was the Romans that were coming around from Turkey or landing on shore, they would march right through Galilee, and they were getting devastated over and over again. And they were a place that was considered to be dark, dangerous, far from God in many ways. And when John the Baptist is arrested, Jesus steps into the light in the midst of the darkness. And look at what he says. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. All I want to say right here before we come back to it is that when God speaks, it demands response. Jesus says the kingdom has come near, right? The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, and therefore it demands a response from us. And he says, repent and believe in the good news. So as he's passing by the Sea of Galilee, and that word sea is misleading. The Sea of Galilee is actually eight miles wide and 13 miles north to south. I, I think that makes it about the a third of the size of Lake Wanapisaki. So that, so Lake Wanapasaki should really be called the Ocean of Wanapasaki, right? And this is the Sea of Galilee, right? You know, and, and so it's, it's not a huge place, but it was vital to their interest because it's where they fished, it's, it's all the industries that came out, where they got their water, and et cetera. So as he's passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. We know him as Peter, but he's Simon, and Andrew, Simon's brother. And they, and they were... They were doing their job. They were at work. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. So Jesus says, follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. And after about a month, they left their nets and they followed him. No, it says immediately they left their nets and followed him. The response needs to come to God's presence, his, to his word, but it needs to be an immediate response, Right? Going on a little further, he sought James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their boat, mending their nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. The calling of the first disciples, right? Then they went into Capernaum. I've had the privilege of being in Capernaum, what they've been able to excavate and and bring out. You know, sometimes we think of city, a lot of these areas were like... 300 yards by 300 yards, and that was the city, right? Just a small village, right? And so it says, they came into Capernaum, and right away, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he began to teach. And they were astonished at his teaching. Because unlike the scribes, he was teaching them as one having authority. We'll come back and explain just a little bit about what that means. Just then... But you love the way God does stuff, right? Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. And he cried out, "What what do you have to do with us, Jesus, Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the holy one of God." And Jesus says to him, "You know what? Go out and paste that on your Facebook page." Right? Go, go, go! I mean, that, thats something you got to tweet or twit or whatever that is, right? You stick it on your Instagram page, right? And challenge all your friends to, to copy it and share it, right? He says Jesus rebukes him, right, and says, "Be quiet, shut up. I don't want you anybody. I don't want you telling anybody that. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Sh- be quiet and come out of him." Best advertisement he could get, right? Great cred for just more customers. And he says, be quiet. Hmm. And then the unclean spirit convulsed him. And he shouted with a loud voice and it came out of him. Then they were all amazed. So they began to argue with one another. What is this anyways, right? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits. And they obey him. And so news of him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went out for Sunday lunch, Saturday lunch, right? So they go out for lunch, and they go to Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law, so Peter was married, and he's with his he's, he's wife. His mother-in-law then is lying in bed and she's with fever, which was a terrifying thing for them in, in those days, right? She's with fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. In other words, he healed her. The fever left her, and as an expression of her gratitude, of her devotion to him, she began to serve them. Not a bad model for us. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all those who were sick. The picture here is when the sun sets, Sabbath's over. Now you can walk as far as you want, and everybody is flocking to him like flies to candy. Right? You're, you're just like you know your picnic. Right? And as soon as you put your plate in the table, whoosh, go to the flies. That's exactly what's happening. You know, sun sets. They're free to move around. Everybody is coming to Jesus with their needs. So so they began bringing to him all those who were sick and all those who were demon-possessed. And the whole town was assembled at the door. I mean, it's just, this is Black Friday, one o'clock in the morning, right? People lined up around the corner of Best Buy and down in the back, whatever, you know, and you got to put the gates out or whatever. Even better, this is TSA on a busy day, right, at the airport, right? They're just lined up, right? Crowd control. So they're lined up. So the whole town was assembled at the door, And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he drove out the demons. And he said to them, go tell everybody. You know, he says, no, 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 no. But he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Hmm. So very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, he went out, and he made his way to a deserted place. And he was praying there. Simon and his companions so you you got you got Andrew and you got James and John they they they're, they're searching for him and they found him and they said, and they're just don't you know everyone is looking for you right right you can make a, what are you doing out of it? you can make a difference everyone's looking for you and he said to them let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too this is why I have come. So he went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with a serious illness, a serious skin disease, came to him. And on his knees, just begged him, says, if you were willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I, you know, the guy has leprosy, right? And, and I don't know if... what Probably the closest example we would have, this would be like somebody going into an Ebola ward in the DRC right now with no mask, no gloves, no gown, and just taking care of people right? They, they were terrified of leprosy. They didn't know how you got it. They didn't know whatever. All they know is that when you had it, you, you, you lost everything. You lost your family. You lost your job. You lost your freedom. You, were, you had to stay away from people. And if anybody got even close to you, you, had to yell, leper, leper, leper. So they knew to stay away from you. It was a life destroying disease in so many different ways. And Jesus reaches out and touches him. He says, I'm willing." He said, be made clean. And immediately, Mark's favorite term, immediately the disease left him, and he was healed. Then he sternly warned him, go tell everybody. No, he says, he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, see that you say nothing to anyone. Some of you would like that to be God's command to you about your faith. Don't tell anybody, right? Because that would make us feel a lot better. But that's this is only to him, right? <laughs> says, say that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer what Moses prescribed for your cleansing as a testimony to them. What he says is, go through the process to get reinstated so you can go home and see your family. Don't tell anybody how it happened. Just go yourself. Go through the process so you can be reinstated. Go home, see your family. But don't tell anybody that I did it. And and it's interesting, verse 45. Yet he went out and he began to proclaim it. I am fascinated by the fact that the demons obeyed Jesus more than the people who were healed by him. (laughs) What's up with that, right? You know, he tells them, be quiet. They don't say nothing, right? Guy gets healed and he says, listen, don't tell anybody. He goes out and he blabs it to everybody. Just blatant disobedience, right? Right? Yet, when he went out, and began to proclaim it widely, to spread the news, and it, with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. He showed up in a village. It was instant, instant gridlock. Nothing happened, and he just... so because. But he was out in deserted places, and they would come to him. Hence, the Sermon on the Mount, feeding in the 4,000, feeding in the 5,000, we're going to see. The people out there, way away from anything. It's the only place big enough to hold everybody... And they would come to him from everywhere. Good stuff, huh? So let's go back and ask, what does this text tell us about who Jesus is? Again, Mark starts his gospel and he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And what Mark sets out to do is to say, if you just look at the life of Jesus, it'll speak for itself. And it's going to prove that Jesus is the Son of God, and that's good news. That's the gospel, right? So how does this passage prove to us that Jesus is God's Son? It's a question to be asking over and over again. And I want to give you four things I see in this text that I think really speak to us. The very first of those is that the presence of Jesus in his public ministry inaugurates the kingdom of God. If you look at verses 14 and 15, he said, when John the Baptist was arrested, and, and, and when you see that word arrested, when, when they seized John and they stuck him in prison, and he's going to die a few chapters from now, when he's going to get executed and martyred, when, when they arrest him, all the preparation that God had been doing for the coming of the Messiah and his public ministry that started way back in Genesis chapter 3, that time of preparation is over. And Jesus inaugurates the kingdom of God. And what is that like? What the Israelites expected the kingdom of God to look like was that the nation of Israel would become the number one superpower in the world. That the Messiah was going to be King David and Solomon wrapped together on steroids. right? And and, and he was going to make the nation of Israel the glory of the world. And with that, God would be honored. And so their expectation was that when the Messiah came, the kingdom of God would come, but that kingdom would be earthly, and it would be God's control of the earth through his people, the Israelites. That's not the kingdom of God that Jesus brought at this time. That comes his second coming, right? It's down the road when there's no more toil, no more tears, no more labor, you know, that kind of... When he shows up this time, he brings the rule of God in the hearts of men. God's kingdom, as it's inaugurated here, is that we finally have the opportunity to live the good news, the presence of God from the inside out as God rules in our heart. And and this explains a lot of things for us spiritually because a lot of us well, if God is good, why is there all this evil in the world? Why is this all this pain? Why is all this bad stuff happen in my life? It's because the rule of God over our circumstances completely is down the road. Right now, God is ruling through us from the inside out as he rules in our hearts. And that's why the kingdom has expanded one heart at a time. One heart at a time. But his presence... Inaugurates the kingdom of God and the presence of the kingdom of God demands a response. We're going to look at that in just a minute. Here's the second truth I want you to see is that so he not only shows that it proves that the, that the arrival of the Messiah brings the kingdom of God and that's evidence that Jesus is God's son, but the second thing is that man, he just taught differently than anybody ever did before. So, so what do you mean by that? Well, you know, that. When you went into a synagogue in these days, and, and I haven't done a lot of research in it, but but primarily those who got up to read, they might get up and read a passage of scripture, and then they would say, "And Rabbi so and so says this about this passage of scripture," or you know, "Rabbi so and so from a hundred years ago said this about this thing," or this, th- 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 and and they would quote somebody else as an authority to say, "This is what this passage means to us," right? So that they didn't teach in their own authority; they relayed or relied on the authority of somebody else. When Jesus got up to teach, Jesus just taught. And and, and when they're listening to him, they're thinking, this is God's stuff. Where does he get that from? This is God's stuff. I mean, you can just tell when he's speaking this stuff. This isn't just kind of made-up stuff, and he's a creative orator, that kind of stuff. Man, he, he is speaking the powerful truth of God. Where does he get that stuff from? And Mark says it's because he's the son of God that he speaks out of his own authority. And some of you have that experience. You you read something in the Word of God, you you hear something that's proclaimed in a service, and and you're saying, you know what, that's truth. That's something I need to be doing, something about my life. And it's the same thing. It just has that impression of bearing the authority of God. Jesus' teaching bore the mark of the authority of God because he was God. And Mark says, you know, over and over again in the synagogues, people looked at him and said, man, where does he get this stuff, right? And Mark says, it's because he's God's son. That's where he gets it from. Here's the third thing. He has control over the evil spirits, over the demons, right? We could get in and, and, you know, do we have demons possess people today, that kind of stuff? We can have that conversation at a different time, right? You know, what does that look like and etc.? But there was clearly in this particular place, spiritual beings who took up residency in a spiritual sense inside of people. And these beings had the capability to recognize the true personhood of Christ. So even though they were evil spirits, they could look at Jesus and say, that's not just Jesus the carpenter from Nazareth, that's the Son of God. They could see what we can't see. And so when they would encounter him, they'd say, what do you have to do with us, son of God? We know you're the Holy One. And Jesus would say, enough of that. Be quiet. But they could see it, and they had to follow his commands. In fact, as I pointed out earlier, often they obeyed him better than we do. right? (laughs) Right? And, And they would just obey him. But Jesus displays his deity, the fact that he is the God, he displays that over the fact by the way that he has command over the demons. And, and one of the side warnings, this is not one of my points, one of the side warnings just because you believe as God's son doesn't mean that you're a follower of Christ. The demons knew that Jesus was God's son, but that didn't mean that they were following after Christ. And there's a lot of people who say, I believe in God, but they're really not following after God. And they may actually genuinely have a belief in God but sort of the demons and that doesn't mean that you' have a relationship with God that leads to eternal life interesting dynamic one one last truth he exercises divine power we see it he, he heals Peter's mother-in-law right and 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 he and he the people are lined up out the door around the corner and down the street to be healed and he heals many of them Right, And then he goes out and, and, he, and, he, and he's healing people in other communities as he goes. He is exercising divine power and impacting the lives of people. He reaches out and he touches the untouchable and he's made clean. He's taking the untouchable, he's making, taking the dirty, the filthy, and he makes them clean. And he brings them back into the family of God. He's exercising the power of God. his healings. And so Mark just said, you want to know if Jesus is God's son or not? Just look at what he did. I mean, he brought the kingdom of God and demanded a response. He had control over the demons. He healed people. Just what you heard him teach just screams to you he's not like anybody else because he's the son of God. And so Mark, just, he's just laying it out. He said, there's lots of other things, like the Gospel of John tells us. You know, there's many other things that Jesus did or said. He said, but I haven't laid those things out because I've laid these things out so you can know that you have eternal life. Mark's trying to lay it out for us. Here's, I'm not giving you everything Jesus did. I'm not giving you everything that Jesus taught, but I'm showing you what you need to know so that you can believe that Jesus is God's Son. And you can see it in what he taught, how he taught it, what he did, And how the demons responded to him. So how is it that we're supposed to respond to him? I mean, this is the way he really starts out, right? You know, he he starts out and says, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And then right out of the bat, he meets four guys who are just doing their job. And what does he say to them? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people, right? Uh, You know, and... And so I think there's several things that really kind of come out to this, and I'm going to kind of boil these down under a couple of points, but the second point's kind of messy, so hang in there with me a little bit, because it's a powerful point for us. But the very first thing is that, that when you look at this, one of the things that Mark came to appreciate, because he wasn't willing to do this, going back to last week's sermon, he grew up around people who followed Jesus, and he wasn't ready to do that. When he went in and kind of spied some of the things that were happening to Jesus, he fled naked because they were trying to arrest him, right? And, and, and then when he went out trying to serve Jesus as a part of the missionary movement, he got to the first place and he turned around and he came home. And so he's, you know, what does it really take? And he says, it takes wholesale, open-ended commitment to follow after Christ. You think about these disciples, right? You know, he, Simon and Andrew, Peter, Peter and Andrew, right? James and John. They're doing their jobs. They make a living. They pay the bills. They take care of the family by fishing. And Jesus shows up and says, Come follow me. Leave that all behind. Come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, they don't do so recklessly, right? It's immediate. They go right away. But Somehow or another, we know there's enough into the backstory that when Jesus is crucified and he's buried, and after he's resurrected, they go back to Galilee, and their boats are still waiting for them. And they go back to work until Jesus shows up and recommissions them with the, you know, with the, the Great Commission. So it wasn't like you know, just, their boats just floated out in the Sea of Galilee, they sank, and that was it, right? You know, they weren't reckless. But at the same time, their response to him was immediate, wholesale, and total. And that's probably repetitious, but you just have to live with that this morning. You know, you know, I think sometimes we want to jump into the kingdom kind of the way we get in a pool in the summer, right? We, we grab the thing, we, we stick our toe in. How cold is it? Right? And if it's not too cold, then maybe we'll go around to where the steps are and we'll Go in a little bit up to our knees, right? Any of you guys ever get in the water this way? You know, just, just a little bit at a time. And then finally at the last, you're going to take the plunge, and psh, over your head it goes and whatnot. You know, Jesus said, I don't, I, that's not the way I want you to come into the kingdom. I don't want you just to try it just a little bit at a time. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the end of the pool, and I want you to climb the three-meter board. And when you get to the top, I don't want you to hesitate. I want you to run straight forward, jump out, and do a cannonball into the middle of the deep end of the pool. No reserves, just go, right? And I, I, you know, I wondered, you know, what it would be like if, like, Jesus walked into my office tomorrow, right, and said, you know what, I want you to serve me for the rest of your ministry in the Amazon forest. Let's go. And and I'd be saying to them, well, first of all, Hope Chapel's bylaws say that I have to give thirty days' notice. <laughs> so come back in a month right? You know, you know what I'm saying? We, we get to this place, where like, you know, what? you know what, God, you've spoken to me. I'm busy right now. I'll put that on my New Year's resolution, right? But it's April, right? It's eight months out. You know, we, 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 we get to the place. He's, no, 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 no. He's looking for immediate, wholesale, open-ended response. What that looks like for you and what that looks like for me can be very different. But sometimes God speaks into our lives and we know i got to change the way I relate to my spouse. Or I need, to, I need to process the experience with my children differently. Or I need to have a different agenda where I work. Or this and that. We, we have lots of different, and, and, and we say, well, I'll, you know, that's just too much for me right now. Open, ended, wholesale, life adjustment to the call of God in our lives. That's what it takes. You, out of the boat, let's go. I'm in a hurry. Second truth, and I'm going to display this one. The last service I did all the work and I came back and made the point. I'm going to display this right now. The, the, the second truth, and I'm going to build out what I mean by this. Jesus mandates that his followers be obsessed with his mission and not just the impact of his power. So, all right, Pastor. What's that mean? Right? So let's look at some stuff. What, what, is, what does Jesus say To Andrew, Peter, James, and John, he says, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Right? Being fishers of men, seeking those who are far from God and bringing them back to God, is Jesus's mission. Right? I came to seek and to save that which is lost. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. Now. Draw the connection here. To follow Christ is to be a fisher of men. To follow Christ is to be about his mission. If you and I are following Christ, and I say you and I, including myself, if we're following Christ, but we really don't want to be fishers of men, we're really not following Christ. Let that sink in for a minute. If, If you and I think we're getting close to the heart of Christ and we could care less about what was the biggest thing on his heart, Right, we're not following after Christ. His mission, right, is up front. So this is how it works out with Peter. We know the story. Jesus has a day to remember in this right in Capernaum. He's in the synagogue and he's teaching, and everybody's saying, "Wow, man, I need more paper to take notes. This is incredible!" Right, you know. And then and then and then a guy gets. A demon gets exercised, right? And people go, wow. Then he goes home and he raises his, he heals Peter's mother in law, right? And she's making, and, and then people are showing up the door to all ends of the hour. I mean, this is a day, man, you know what? We, keep, we have another day like this. We're going to be a news story above the fold in the New York Times, right? You know, we're, we're, it's, it's going to be the lead story, you know, in the news. And it's just incredible, right? And then and, and get up the next morning and, and they can't find Jesus. Hey, man, you know, there's, there's customers lined up everywhere right? Well, and so they're out looking for him. He said, hey, everybody's looking for you, man. You, there is a lot more good that you can do here, right? And what does Jesus say? Say, you know what? Let's move on to the next village. Because that's why I came out. What is what is he really saying? He's saying, "I He said, "This village they already have enough evidence to believe whether I'm God's son or not." I didn't come to fix every problem. I didn't come to heal every pain. I came to live my life in such a way that everybody can believe that I am the Son of God who came to be their redeemer. So, so let's go on to the next one. So how does this play out like you know in, in, in church life, right? You know, and, and listen, this 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 conversation hasn't happened at Hope Chapel, you know, but you know, this is the way it plays out in some, you know, like so the idea is, all right. You know what? I know there's a lost world out there, but we got needs right here, right? So, and and you know, this has happened in churches that I'm aware of, and even in our region. You know, pastor, you know, our grandparents sacrificed to put that pipe organ in, and our and our and our parents grew up worshiping God doing that from that pipe organ. Man, the, 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 that pipe organ played on the day that I was dedicated as a baby, right? And, and, and we got to preserve that pipe organ. So it's going to cost us $100,000 to fix that. So this year we're going to cut our evangelism, our missions, and our outreach budget so that we can fix the pipe organ. we got needs right here. I know there's a lot of need out there in the world, but we've got needs right here. You know, Peter's saying, you know what? There's a lot of needs back in town. We didn't finish yesterday. Let's go back. And Jesus said, you know, they already have enough, right? They already have enough, right? And, and so now add one more layer to that. Why is Jesus over and over again telling people, don't say nothing? Don't say nothing. He's not saying go home and just post the best review you can of Yelp. Right on Yelp, you know. For, uh, I mean, I want. He, he's not doing that. He's telling the demons, "Shut up! I don't want you saying anything." He's telling people to heal. Don't say anything, because Jesus doesn't want people fall on him for the wrong reasons. See, the Israelites were expecting the Messiah. They were yearning for the Messiah, but they expected that Messiah to show up and solve their problems. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to look for those who are far from God and bring them back to God. He said, I don't want people following me for the wrong reasons. I don't want them showing up and following after me just because I can heal them. I don't want people showing up and following after me just because I can feed them. I don't want people showing up and following after me just because, you know, they like the teaching and it gives them a lot to talk about. I want people following me who are ready to give their lives to go find people who are in the darkness and bring them back to life that's what i want and so i i I don't want you until i've got the message out until i've lived it out for people to see what the messiah is really about i don't want you saying anything to anybody because i don't want people following after me just because of the impact of my power i want them being following after me because they're obsessed with my mission which is to go look for those who are lost broken, stuck in the darkness for whatever reason, and to bring them back into the light. You know, and, and you know, it, it's, it's a powerful word. You know, I, 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 I wonder, right? You know, there are many times as I interact with people who are looking to or have chosen to connect with Hope Chapel, and they say some things, and they mean them very well. Perhaps even some of you have said the exact same things. You know, I love it here at Hope Chapel. I really love the music right? You know, or I love it here because, you know, I, I love life groups and my people really care for me, whatever. Or, or I love it because you just have a great children's program or a great youth group. Or, you know, I love the preaching because it's right out of the Word. All that is good stuff. But what, God, what I really want to hear as a pastor, what God wants to say, the reason why I'm committed to Hope Chapel is because they have an unrelenting passion to go reach the lost right? And and, and I, I'm starting to think, you know what, I'm five to ten years whatever from retirement, right? And, and I'm thinking to myself, what kind of people do we want assigned the responsibility to get on their knees and figure out who is the next person to serve as a pastor of Hope Chapel? And, it's, and, and what we don't want is people to say, well, I want somebody who's going to make me feel comfortable and I like. Right? What we want to have is somebody say, you know what? I don't like him at all. I mean, he preaches in sneakers and his shirt tail is hanging out and he speaks too long and all that kind of stuff. But I got to tell you, I'm behind him 100% because he's the only guy that I know that can help us reach the lost. And I might not even like my church anymore, but I'm committed to it because it's going to have this relentless appetite to reach lost people. And, and, And that's the kind of commitment that Jesus is asking from us. Not just saying, well, you know, I, I'm there because my church can meet my needs. Listen, people matter. We all matter. But the reason we engage people in their financial struggles, in their relational struggles, their emotional struggles, their physical struggles, we minister to those needs so they can get back up and get in the game of going back into the darkness and bringing people out into the light. And if we're just there to care for people, it was, it was amazing. You know, this, in recent times... We've had this interaction with an individual that that used to come to Hope Chapel, and they're one of these snowbird types, right? And 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 they so they came back in the spring, and, and nobody reached out to them, and they just longed for the day where, like, you know, the, the church I grew up in—they were all broken up, in, and we really cared for one another. You know what? That church is just about ready to go out of existence. What God really wants is somebody who comes back from Florida. She walks in the door of the church and say, hey, what can I do to help you reach lost people until I go back to Florida? What can I do to help you reach lost people until I go back to Florida? Not like, well, this, what can you do for me while I'm here? I'm not saying we shouldn't be ministering to people because we clearly should be. But I got to tell you, our passion needs to be that we're obsessed with the mission of Christ. And he didn't go back into Capernaum and say, well, let's not leave until everybody's taken care of. There's not a sick person left and everybody's got plenty of food in their table and they all get the best jobs and their marriages are thriving and their kids don't misbehave. And when we get that all done, then we can go over to the next village. He didn't say that. He says, they've got enough evidence to know that I am the Messiah. So let's go to the next village. And we, we really got to ask ourselves, is that our passion? Because listen, if we're not fishing for men, we're not following after Jesus. Because that's where he's headed. And if we're not headed in that direction, we're not following. So the real question comes, what kind of followers are we? Are we the, the people in Capernaum waiting for Jesus to come back and take care of them? Or are we following after him to the next village? What kind of follower are you? What kind of follower am I? Let's pray together for just a moment. God, I just want to quote the psalmist, and I'm not even going to quote him accurately, but God, just search us and try us, and show us what's in our heart, that we can be true followers of Jesus Christ, So we pray in his name, amen. As always, we conclude our service with just a chance to sing to the God who's spoken to us as a chance for you to give your offerings, and through, as the plates are passed, let's stand together as we move to conclude our service and uh, celebrate the God who is still at work.